The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! But it's how I like my eggs, Paul. <laughs> Poached. The government can't stop me from boiling my eggs, Paul. Shh, shh. I know you love the sweet meat of that large, majestic creature in front of us, but we're just gonna get out our binoculars and we're gonna observe, okay? Okay. Do not shoot this animal. It's illegal. It's so majestic, though. And my finger is so itchy. Hey, what? 
Wait a minute. What are you doing? Get your hand out of your pocket. No. No, no. you weren't supposed to bring one of those. You weren't supposed to bring... Did, did you realize what that would do? Yes. No. Oh, God. Oh, God. He let the mouse loose. We got to get out of here. I can see the fear in its eyes. Don't shoot until you see the light shot one. And and about yeah, about like like it was I would say it was at the point in the bit where I said, we're going to get out our, which I want to say is like seven words in, I realized, oh, I made us poachers in this scenario, trying to kill an elephant. And, uh, but then there was no going back, and so that's where we, that's where we are. Yeah, well. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. <laughs> I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host and poacher, James Kaminsky. This is a Jack White History Program. You know, yeah, where we talk about eggs and elephants, and also Jack White movies and TV and Third Man Records and assorted acts, and sometimes we even go over tours. Paul, yeah, we haven't done a Jack on tour segment in a while. I think the last Jack on tour we did was I want to say Whorehound tour, and then we, we did the Whorehound tour twice. <laughs> so. <laughs> We first of all, we talked about not admitting that to the audience. Um, we <laughs> now we haven't done one of these in a while, but we want to do some White Stripes stuff. So we know we haven't gone over this album yet, but today we're going to talk about the White Stripes tour to support the album Elephant. Yeah, it's a big one. The album was huge, huge success, and it needed a supporting tour to match the enthusiasm that was brought forth by this album, and we got a world tour out of it. This is the album, I think, that really put the White Stripes on the map in a lot of ways. I know White Blood Cells did that uh, to a degree, but this one had Seven Nation Army and all these other songs, and I know this was the one that was permeating the most when I was sort of in college, and Oh, I have fond memories of playing uh, There's No Home For You Here, Girl, Go Away, um, playing that song on the one and only broadcast of my college radio program, Paul Kaminsky Plays Esoteric Songs. No one really knows <laughs> just deep. It was called Just Deep Cuts, and with every song, I gave myself a severe laceration. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to talk about the tour that surrounded that album now. We know we haven't done that album analysis yet. In fact, it is glaringly obvious to most that that is the only White Stripes album we have not yet done an album analysis and review on. The reason for that is very simple. Uh, You know, it's the last one, and we want to savor it. We want to kind of roll it around in there a little bit, kind of get some mouthfeel going. When we do that one, oh, there's going to, oh, it's just going to be so good. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of people who will complain that we didn't get all the facts just right. Yeah, so we're avoiding it, is what we're saying. So the anticipation is, it's building up in people's heads, and we're just, 
Oh, we're avoiding that. We're avoiding that. But we've got a very special guest this week to uh, to give us a lot of facts because he was there for this tour. We're uh, we're joined. That's one, right. We're joined once again by Mr. Mark Bauer, who's the junior booking agent for White Stripes and uh, all, you know basically all Jack's acts for for quite a long time. And so yeah, James, we're going to get into this tour here, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I would love to hear more about this tour. I've seen the show posters. That's my first. White Stripes show poster that I've ever seen was from this tour. Uh, a lot of them were. A lot of the overseas tour posters, that sort of stuff. And it's always been fascinating to me, this whole era of the White Stripes just out there on tour. So, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to learn more, Paul. Yeah, well, we're going to do that, James. But before we get to all that... <gasps> Is there something we should... S- start, start shooting smelling? with a musket? <laughs> Paul, is that elephant dung I smell? We have a new segment here. Would you like to introduce it? I would love to, and it's got a title that we had just come up with on the fly. Paul, uh, let's let's do a little segment called, I had opinions that felt like pancake batter. How about we call mm. it pancake batter? <laughs> I'll show you how to express your opinion in English. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and what these up for brunch this weekend. James, Pancake Batter is a new portion of the show wherein we spotlight the opinions of some of our listeners based on shows we've done in the past. Now, this is a new segment that we hope to continue on moving forward. It could be anything from somebody listening to an album review and saying, hey, I think this song is stronger than that song, that sort of thing. Uh, We want to encourage our listeners to uh, send in their opinions because we love to hear them. And we're sick of sharing ours all the time. So our first one, we got an email here from Shane Ben Jamson who uh, wrote us in to uh, tell some insight that uh, he felt that we had perhaps uh, not uh, all the way addressed in our Boarding House Reach episodes, which, if you'll recall, was a three-part episode. I want to say 67 through 69, the sex number. Nice. Shane writes in to tell us that uh, he listened to the track Don't Hurt Yourself for the first time since Boarding House Reach came out the other day, and he didn't recall us mentioning it specifically on the episodes, so he thought he would throw it out that there are a lot of through lines that he hears between that and Boarding House Reach. In an alternate universe, this could have appeared as a Jack song on Boarding House Reach with the guest appearance by uh, Beyonce. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, we really don't get a lot of guest stars on Jack albums, you know? Uh, we Like, Holly at the end of Elephant is, like, yeah. the main one, right? I mean, like, as far as vocalists are concerned, yeah, there's not not a whole lot. But Jack's solo albums, we get quite a bit of, of guest starring in, in the forms of backing bands and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and... I feel like that's different. Like, that's just, like, starring. Like... Well, like, Pokey Lafarge's band. Okay, they played, and I um, I think I'll just go to sleep. If Pokey sang or harmonized with Jack on it. Okay. You know, but even then, I feel like the only time it was really an artist on par with Jack when it was Holly, because Holly and Jack at that time were about the same level of famous. Jack was probably a little bit more at that particular moment, but... Are you counting just White Stripes songs here? No. I mean, well... Because we have, we have Ashley Monroe... With the raconteurs, true. That's a that's a fantastic point. I forgot about Ashley Monroe, and not to mention 
Alicia Keys and um, and of course the the one that uh, that that Shane is talking about here, uh, "Don't Hurt Yourself," but it's not all that often, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yes. And Nas, I forgot about Nas. Maybe my premise is just flawed. Well, look, the ones we are talking that we have just mentioned are not necessarily album tracks. That's the true. Holly one is an album track. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's an interesting insight here that Shane uh, decided to share. He doesn't know if that was just representative of where Jack was creatively at the time, or if uh, maybe Beyonce influenced the sound of Boarding House Reach just by virtue of the basis of her song being the thing that one of the last things before Boarding House Reach. So as we know, Beyonce's song was sort of what it was, and Jack kind of got a lot of free reign in terms of what the actual music was during the Boarding House Reach press tour. He talked a lot about that mm-hmm. and how that, you know, it was basically him just doing a song and then they flew in the vocals. Still interesting because that could put you in a different headspace. As we know, when Jack gets in a certain kind of headspace, he tends to sort of stay there and then for a little while and then evolve into something else. Like his country period, we're in his electronica yeah. period. Boarding House Reach has a lot of weird noises on it and what is the first song from the raconteurs have on it is which is the same kind of thing as um connected by love so there's a through line and i think shane's got a good point you could definitely extract the little piano organ ditty that's on don't hurt yourself and put it onto a boarding house reach song and it fits in perfectly yes uh so i i understand i understand where that's coming from yeah so thanks shane for writing in and james what do you say we get to uh, talking about this tour here yeah paul i would love to James, let's talk about elephant. Yeah, Paul, let's talk about those big, muscly mammals that have the long trunks. Elephants. Yeah, let's do it. So, James, uh, just to start here with a little setting of the stage, because this is a long tour. This thing goes on for a year and a half. Oh, God. And it is filled with personal injuries. <laughs> I mean, 100% of the band suffered personal injuries that delayed major legs of the tour <laughs> and personal injuries outside of the band, which affected different things that would come to pass a little bit later on in the Stripes' career. Well, yeah, because Jack gave a horse a carrot so it'd break her foot. Yeah, 
Well, it would be nice if that was what it was. <laughs> uh, uh, this is a tour filled with iconic performances for the band at the height of their powers. Meg is still engaged. They are mm-hmm. at their purest form still. Like This is their first not sympathy for the record industry release. We'll talk about the record on another show. But this is this is a very unique time in the Stripes career. And one, if you were to think of the White Stripes, you're probably thinking of this tour. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just Joe Blow on the street, because this is the point in which they became household names. Yeah, they're on all the magazines. So to set the stage a little bit, on March 8th, 2003, the band released its lead single of the album Elephant, Seven Nation Army, which was a titanic success for them and topped the Billboard Modern Rock charts for six straight weeks and was in the top 10 of the UK. While it wasn't a number one, the single had legs throughout the year and beyond, which continued to feed the Stripes' early success. Now, keep in mind, this single is charting worldwide through the rest of the year and the entirety of the tour. So Hmm. it's basically fueling the tour. It's like uh, if this were the Titanic, the single would be the coal getting shoveled into the galley by those poor Irishmen. (laughs) <laughs> and Meg is the band yeah, okay. that's going down with the ship. Meg is Billy Zane? Okay, that sounds fun. Jack is Rose? Who's the car that's in the cargo hold? That is Larry the Cable Guy. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Reading about this tour made me so upset with Jack for not putting out over and over and over as the lead single on Boarding House Reach. Because had he done that, it would have put such a different spin on that album and therefore fed that tour a lot more. By the time you get to single three, people have checked out. I mean, I'll tell you what, the sentence you just said has a wildly different context in my head. I'm disappointed in Jack for not putting out over and over and over again. Jesus (laughs) We record this show very late, folks. So anyway, this was a monster, monster single, monster album about to feed a monster tour. Now, the Elephant album was released on April 1st, 2003, recorded the year prior at Rag Studios between Mm. November 2001 and April 2002. That's a long time from recording to release, which, again, we will go over on episode, but kind of crazy. It it makes sense that he had some versions of uh, I just don't know what to do with myself and stuff. Uh, yeah. earlier on because of that yeah this long gap between recording and release for the record it can be explained by considering a couple of different things the band is grappling with fame for the first time white blood cells puts them in homes across america jack is filming a movie called mm-hmm. mountain which doesn't wrap until the winter months of 2002 anyway and is released that christmas and also that christmas had the seven inch merry christmas from the white stripe single the band is very busy during this time period so it makes sense that you know, it's taking a long time for them to find time to get into the studio. Because don't forget, they're still touring on White Blood Cells, you know? Yeah. The album actually debuted at number one in the UK. The Stripes, huge over there with the John Peel endorsement, and it peaked at number six on the Billboard Top 200. So that's not a small thing. Like, that's a pretty big deal for an alt-rock band at the time of, like, when Eminem is king and whatever else. Like, they led the way for a lot of this. And James is now, I know... Looking up top acts of 2003. <laughs> you have, you have me. Into Club by Fifty Cent was uh was one of the number ones. Ignition by R. Kelly. Get Busy by Sean Paul. Crazy in Love Beyonce featuring Jay Z. The closest you get to rock and roll so far is When I'm Gone by Three Doors Down. 
and Matchbox 20s there too. But yeah, Chingy, Aaliyah, you got Chingy for Christ's sake. Chingy, yeah, right there. And the other side of this is the idea that I was sort of unclear going into this episode because we've never done a Jack on Tour episode this early on in their career before. I was a little unclear of if there was a distinction between like gigging and touring at this point in their lives because, you know, as a band just starting out, you're gigging pretty much constantly. Mm hmm. But I guess this really is one of my big surprises with this is, no, this was a tour proper. This was not just a series of gigs. This is a a tour an awful lot like, say, the Blunderbuss tour. They're done fucking around, jumping from club to club. This is like them as a rock band on tour promoting an album. Mm -hmm. So from there, let's move on to some of the first few preview shows. There was actually only one preview show, and it was in London. In early 2003, Jack and Meg head out to London on uh, February 7th for a five-song set at the Electric Cinema. And this was not part of the tour yet. This was just sort of a tease. Mm -hmm. Electric Cinema is an old theater chain in Britain, and they played Zeppelin's In My Time of Dying, Blackjack Davey, and then two songs from the forthcoming Elephant album, You've Got Her in Your Pocket, and in the Cold Cold Night, which is, by the way, Meg's first solo vocal on a White Stripes song, mm-hmm. they close with Hotel Yorba. So that's an interesting little smattering of songs. We get two covers, two new songs, and a classic. But James, the rest of the preview shows that were scheduled were canceled. And do you know why? Is it because Jack broke his finger? Or is it because Meg slipped on ice? I'm, I might be jumping the gun. Well, James, way to spoil the episode, but yes, uh, you are right (laughs) one of those times. Is it because Meg slipped on the ice? Yeah, so early pre-elephant touring was canceled due to Meg falling on some ice in New York City, breaking her wrist in two places and putting her in a cast for six weeks. Oof. This took place after the band had gotten back from Britain on or around March 11th. It was actually tough to track that date down, but I was able to narrow it down from some sources at the time. Mm -hmm. A show and some promo work, whatever that means, in Texas on March 15th would be the first to be canceled as a result of the fall. And this would not be the first injury to plague the Elephant Tour, but we'll get to that a little bit later on, as James, you alluded to. Keep that in mind. They're already off to a terrible start on this tour they had to cancel all their lead-in work like this album was just coming out and they're doing zilch to set the runway for it and they can't help it i mean it was an accident but an awkward time for something like that to happen yeah it's still getting uh, airwaves though it's still on the radio so i mean the album is promoting itself in a way they kind of don't even have to be on the road to get this thing moving uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only that, they have a bigger name record label behind them who's able to push it for them in a way that Sympathy was never able to do. Yeah, V2, which I think has a lot to do with why this tour feels so official mm-hmm. and not just like a smattering of gigs. The European leg that was canceled sucked because, you know, the UK was hitting real White Stripes fever at this time. They hadn't played in Britain since the Reading Festival the previous year, and the hype around the forthcoming Elephant album was insane. In, in fact, fact, one of the interesting things I read was that advanced copies of the record were reportedly going for £125 in the secondary market. Woo! Which seems a little like, hey, just be patient for a couple weeks. Like, 
calm down. It's fine. It's, it's always like that. When celebrities die, their albums and stuff go for crazy amounts for the first month or two, and then nothing you know, after that. Like when Michael Jackson died, I remember like Bad went from being a two dollar record to being a you know seventy five dollar record, and then two weeks later, it was back to being a two dollar record because people realized that there were millions of copies made of this. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure all of those are finding their way into bargain bins this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Watch that. It was crazy. So on April 7th, 2003, they play their first show of the tour, which is the Civic Hall in Wolverhampton, England. Sounds like the worst X-Men ever. <laughs> and then the next night they played the Carling Apollo in Manchester. Scotland, and then back to uh, London on the 11th. Now, this initial European leg ended on April 12th, which was a whirlwind five-day blitz across Britain, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. The first leg of the North American tour started with two nights at the Scottish Rite Cathedral at Masonic Temple in Detroit. Uh, This is a venue we've discussed on the show a bunch, and uh, the place where Jack's mother and I want to say father too worked? Yes, they both had different jobs. I think uh, his father was on the either a maintenance worker or custodial staff, something like that, I want to say. And his mother was a secretary. And Jack donated money to that church and stuff. So, you know, it's a nice way to start the North American leg. And it's a little reminiscent of uh, Jack playing Little Caesars to kick off the uh, Boarding House Reach Tour. Yeah. Little Caesars Pizzeria over on 9th. (laughs) Yeah. Pizza, pizza. And so uh, the Stripes made their way to New York on April 19th, played the Hammerstein Ballroom.
two shows in Boston before heading to New York City to play James, one of the most iconic and important performances of their lives as Papa John's professional <laughs> musicians. James, they spent an entire week playing on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Ah, uh, yes. From NBC Studios in New York, it's Late Night with Conan O'Brien. It was their, uh, what's that John Lennon and Yoko Ono takeover? It was sort of their Mike Douglas show in that they were around for a whole week. Yeah, but it's <laughs> funny. Well, I'm gonna re- let me read the press from this. This is via Entertainment Weekly. The new house band on Late Night with Conan O'Brien will be the White Stripes for a week at least. NBC announced that Jack and Meg will perform every night from April 22nd through 25th to promote their new album Elephant, which hits stores on Tuesday. According to NBC, that marks the longest stint for any guest band in late night TV history. False! Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're only counting it as a as a musical guest and not as, like, because John and Yoko, like, they co-hosted that whole week. They weren't like yeah, they, musical they guests. Didn't. But also every other house band ever, like The Roots. <laughs> to continue on here via EW, since O'Brien took over the franchise a decade ago, Late Night has been the most alt-rock friendly of the after-hours talk shows. Okay. <laughs> to quote Jack White, the gig should make up for being postponed nine times on CBS's Late Show with David Letterman. Take that, Letterman. Which apparently he did say. I thought he did play Letterman, but I guess it was more of the postponing that pissed him off. He played Letterman in the White Blood Cells era, but... Uh, Conan went on to say, It's exciting to have a band as creative and relevant as the White Stripes at late night for a whole week. In fact, they're staying at my apartment. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's Conan joking or what, but it'd be amazing if not. I think we should do the Jack Conan friendship on a future show and sort of cover it more there, but that's the, like, the 100-yard view what, of it, you know? What's the over-under on Conan accepting an interview request from us? Denied. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Andy Richter. <laughs> yeah. This has been one of the coolest weeks we've ever experienced, so please welcome one more time the White Stripes. <laughs> for a moment to set the stage the white stripes are rising in popularity the fell in love with the girl video is huge and they're a monstrous success in england and the critical darlings of tastemaker magazines everywhere they're about to release the most commercially accessible record of their entire career with a catchy earworm lead-off single that can stay in people's heads jack is filming a movie and dating renee zellweger from that movie and then they're on conan for an entire week which put them in television screens across america every day for an entire week if anyone didn't know who they were before this after this week these guys are known yeah 
definitely. On April 27th, after the Conan stint, they play Coachella. So again, they're really rolling. Like, this train is picking up steam. They got off to a shaky start, but they're really moving on here. They're just below the Red Hot Chili Peppers on the bill, but are billed alongside Iggy and the Stooges and Jack Johnson on the night of their performance. One of those is a possible mentor to Jack, or at least someone Jack has always dreamed of being colleagues with. And we all know it's Jack Johnson. (laughs) That brings us to the second European leg of the tour. They are back to Britain for a Radio 1 appearance on May 4th before one night stands in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Hmm. The band hangs in Germany for a while, playing Berlin twice. end the month they play gigs in the netherlands france spain switzerland austria and italy a lot of countries being hit here james yes locations that they wouldn't have been able to reach before this album the big festivals in this leg of the tour are uh, primavera sound in spain flip out festival in italy some of the other acts on the bill in primavera sound in spain bell and sebastian the go-betweens and an interesting one soledad brothers Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Now, I'm glad they were playing the Primavera Festival instead of the uh, Unlimited Breadsticks Festival, so uh, real happy about that. <laughs> now, I've made the same joke multiple times. Yes, you. I was going to say, you making that joke reminds me that the Dirt Bombs often talk about Primavera <laughs> Festival and how great it is, <laughs> because I think we do make that joke every time about the Primavera Festival. The Flip Out Festival in Italy had some more notable names, including Ben Harper, and Audio Slave sharing headliner duties and appearances by the Dandy Warhols, Queens of the Stone Age, hey, Dean. and The Kills. Hey, Allison. So we have most of the dead weather here. Most of the dead weather were at Flip Out Festival in Italy in 2003. Now, I don't know where Jack and Allison met for the first time, but this is pretty damn early. Yeah, I, it's possible they met around there, but I don't I don't know. From what I've heard, they became friends because they opened for them, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll either. have to look into that. Tam, you know what to do. (laughs) Uh, James, that brings us to the second leg of the North American part of the tour. They are back to the States on June 13th, where they play Live 105 BFD in Mountain View, California. And they also did something called Weenie Roast with K-Rock in Irvine, California the next day. Hi, I'm Jack, and I'm from Detroit, and this is my sister Meg, and we're called Lordy and Some Change. And this song is called... Walk right by me 
living in an old house My market but the neighbor checking it out It was a baby boy, so we bought him a toy It was a breakdown, and it was 1981 We named him Baby, he had a toothache He started crying, it sounded like an earthquake That one's kind of funny, joining them on the bill for the weenie roast were some interesting choices, including Godsmack, Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. Jane's Addiction, mm-hmm. Stained, okay. Some 41, Blur, Did- Good Charlotte, Less Than Jake, and Hot Hot Heat. Okay, did they know who they were billing when the White Stripes were on... I- <laughs> this, is, this is Warped Tour Europe, pretty much. I mean, well, this is back in, this is Irvine, California, so this is... Oh, okay, so this is Warped Tour, basically, the sequel called Weenie Roast, and Jack White said, yeah, I'll play with Good Charlotte. (laughs) Yeah. And Godsmack, Uh, okay. Also in June, the band plays gigs in North Carolina, Tampa, Boca Raton, Stone Mountain, Georgia, Hard Rock Live in Orlando, New Orleans. At Stubbs Barbecue in Austin, where Margot Price would play a decade later, and my buddy Andrew would have some delicious barbecue. Grand Prairie, (laughs) Oklahoma City, Kansas City, and St. Louis. That is quite a journey from the East Coast down the South, then over to the middle of the country. And it's in a pattern almost reminiscent of like mowing a lawn, like they're going down one side and then going over and then they're going up the other side. (laughs) I I don't know. I I haven't mowed a lawn in a while. Maybe I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Jack is mowing the world's lawn. You know what? Actually, I, I can see Jack totally riding a lawnmower between gigs as a a third man record stunt so who knows july's dates kicked off with two nights at the argon ballroom in chicago on the first and second of the month and then off to saint paul before another long break james but this break wasn't by choice it was by necessity on july 9th jack got into a car accident that forced the stripes to pull out of a third european leg in early july as well as a 26 date north american run and some dates in Japan. And this is via NME about the car accident. The star crashed his car on July 9th and has undergone an operation to have three metal screws in his finger to make sure that the bones heal properly. While White says his left arm is so bad he can't even tie his shoelaces, he's feeling lucky it wasn't a lot worse. He said this, A 75 to 80 year old woman drove right into the middle of the street right in front of us. (laughs) (laughs) There was nothing I could do to get away from it. I was lucky that there was nobody seriously injured. After getting out of the car and checking that he, his superstar girlfriend Renee Zellweger, and the old lady weren't badly hurt, Jack realized he was the only one who had suffered a serious bodily injury, one that could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. The index finger on his left hand was, quote, destroyed. Oof. (laughs) He says, I looked down and saw my finger was just destroyed. I immediately thought, oh, that's not good. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oopsie. He would just see it as another challenge to get through, though. He would just play... If he had four fingers, he'd be like, I, I got to chop off my other finger now. He's got he's to get three fingers per hand. <laughs> the three screws thing, I don't know if you're going to get to that. Is that thing? Like, yes. Didn't he add an extra screw? Well, that's what Bruce Brand told us, I think. I don't know if that's him being funny or if that's real, 
but I will get to that operation in a moment. Okay. Uh, so it was a multiple fracture, which means it didn't go, the bone didn't go through the skin, but it shattered inside the finger. Jack said, I can't write, I can't play piano, I can't play guitar, I can't do anything creative, I can't even tie my shoes. And then a week after the crash, Jack went to the hospital for a progress report, which was worse. <laughs> the finger was growing back inside of him. <laughs> Instead of healing, the multiple breaks in Jack's hand meant the bones were pushing apart rather than together, so you weren't far off. (laughs) I grew a toe. They cut off my big toe and grafted it to my finger. (laughs) Uh, Doctors inserted the metal screws, which will stay inside his body for life. The additional surgery has put his recovery back weeks, making reading and leads impossible. He added, it's a drag. We were looking forward to being part of it this year. We waited as long as we could to find out if it was possible. Now, James, that brings us to uh, something related to this that I just said, involving something within Jack's finger. Um, is it... Is it inspiration, Paul? <laughs> well, he tried to tie something around his finger to heal this other little something, but it just didn't work, so they had to put a cast on it. What? <laughs> it's a wrecking ball. Oh, it's a wrecking ball. Whoa. We haven't done this one in a in years. I feel oh, like I think we... it's been a year. <laughs> James, you want to tell the people what wrecking bone is? I would love to. Guys, you have no idea. I'm so excited. I haven't I haven't got to explain this in forever. A wrecking bone is the segment of the show Uh, in which we find something weird or unusual, and we put it here in this little segment. It might have nothing to do with the show, or it might have something very much to do with the show, but we find ourselves in this little rabbit hole, and uh, we we bring it to you here. Fresh, hot, ready to eat, like a $5 Little Caesars pizza. Paul, what's this rag and bone? So, James, you can watch Jack White's finger surgery on YouTube. Excuse me? Right No, you can't. Now. No, you can't. To prove that the canceled dates were because of his injury, he posted online through Jack White, through White Stripes' official channels, his entire surgery in graphic detail. I watched. I, I watched some of this. It it is gross. It's. You can see the inside. It looks like a chicken wing. Like you can see. It's so gross. I. What? Ha. Okay. But James, but Has... take a step back. It's totally something he would do. Yeah. Although I'm surprised he didn't film it on Super 8. I. <laughs> Has. Rock music gone too far, Paul. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> um, this is different. I wasn't expecting that, and I... I mean, I think I remember reading him say it... Or, like, reading somewhere when I was doing the Cold Mountain research that you could, you know, that you could watch this surgery and just thinking, <laughs> no, you can't. And... Oh, you can. I did. A, Oh boy! Okay, you can do it right now if you want to do all you. So you can really see his rag and bone. You could literally see Jack White's actual bone. 
That not not is... like a not like an erection, like his bone. <laughs> his bone broke. Yeah. Um, oh. That's good. Uh, crack a window, crap, crack a cone, crack an ice. Ice cream bone. Uh, no, I'm getting the lyrics all wrong. Yeah, it's a racket ball. Well, man, look oh. at all this. You don't want another wowzers. Fun. Good one, Paul. Good. Another uh, fun fact: uh, since the Stripes couldn't play live at the time, Jack and Meg took the opportunity to film a music video for the hardest button to button. And Jack has huh. the cast on his finger through the whole video. It's black. does he really? Yes, he does, and I've never noticed it until I looked it up, and sure as shit, he's there with that black cast throughout the entire video. I know! It really puts things into a chronological order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I'll leave this accident segment with a quote from Jack on modern technology as it pertained to his injury. Quote, the airbag... Oh god, it's him complaining about airbags. The airbag... The airbag broke my finger when it deployed. Maybe I would have been better off without an airbag. <laughs> no, Jack, you're wrong. Stop it. Sidebar, uh, setlist.fm lists a lot of gigs that didn't actually happen between this time and September, so take those with a grain of salt. Whenever you see a gig listed on setlist.fm that doesn't have yeah. any songs on it, there's a good chance it didn't really happen. Yeah, it could happen. It They occasionally will post duplicate tours too with like a different name or something it's not perfect but uh it does list the accident as a concert so uh the the old lady is credited on there the uh jack is credited on there um yeah with, the nice the nice with, police officer is credited on there with 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 a thousand pounds of hot metal <laughs> old lady on the thousand pounds of hot metal is a car a thousand pounds I think it's 2,000. I think it depends on the car. I, knowing the old lady, it's probably a Lincoln Town car. Um, <laughs> I don't know the old lady. I just, knowing old ladies in 2003. Yeah, yeah. knowing old I ladies. I didn't know that many old ladies in 2003. I guess a Toyota Corolla was in the was in the mix. So many old ladies, as James <laughs> familiar with. <laughs> According to Billboard, tickets were honored for the postponed shows when the Stripes uh, were able to hit the road again, and those and those dates did get shifted into the month of November. Now let's move on to North American leg number three. They play the Greek Theater in Berkeley, California, as their grand return to the stage on September 13th, 2003, Dad's birthday. Then yeah. off to Canada at the Plaza of Nations in Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, Denver, Las Vegas, the Greek Theater in L.A. for a three-night stay. And there's some actually really cool performances from the Greek online for people to check out if you'd like to. We'll play a little bit of some of that here. Get them to the Greek, Paul.
To close out September, they play La Jolla, which is eh, out of the way. I think Mark Bauer would call it a secondary market. Um, mm. And they also play uh, Mesa, Arizona. So they're they're not necessarily they're hitting some offbeat places too. Still on this tour. Uh, from there, James, they're off to Australia and New Zealand. They open the leg at the St. James Theater, appropriate, in Ooh. Auckland, New Zealand. And then something really cool happens, James. Did they play an infirmary? No, but they play Freeman's Bay Primary School in Auckland. Ah. So the Stripes play for all these super young school kids, and the set list is hilarious. Listen to what the, he played these little kids. Death Letter is what they opened with. Hmm. Grinning in your face. Ooh. Uh, then they play uh, a, a song a little more appropriate, We're Gonna Be Friends. They play Hotel You Are, but again, pretty appropriate. Then St. James Infirmary. Then Little Room. And then Bull Weevil. You know, what kids love. <laughs> I mean, Bull Weevil's the, like, it's folk music. You could put it on a kid's CD, your blues version of Kids Bop. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But grinning in your face. That's <laughs> a weird one. The way, at least the way Jack sings it would terrify me. <laughs> As if I were a child. A video of the performance of We're Gonna Be Friends was released in November of 2017 across all of Jack's official channels to help promote the We're Gonna Be Friends children's book. There's also footage of this included in Under New Zealand Lights, ah. which I don't have but would love to find. I think that was a vault. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a vault DVD, yeah. Uh, after the gig at Wellington Town Hall, they venture off to Australia to play Sydney, the Livid Festival, Melbourne... Adelaide and Brisbane before heading off to Japan for what is, I think, the most extensive Japanese tour they've ever done, although I could be wrong about that because we've never done another White Stripes Jack on tour. I am so angry that they played the Livid Festival. I am just livid. Well, well done. <laughs> um, uh, in Japan, they play all the postponed tour dates to fulfill those. Uh, starting on October 22nd at the Shibuya Axe in Tokyo.
then off to Nagoya, Fukuoka, Hiroshima, Osaka, and then back to Tokyo. And uh, this is a quite a substantial Japanese tour, which we see in later tours. They sort of just stop in and bounce. But um, from there, James, they go to South America. Now, I think this is their first time in South America, but mm-hmm. don't quote me on that because I didn't. We didn't do research on the the Blood Cells tour yet. This just in: this... it's their first time in South America. Quote Paul Kaminsky. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. They play the Tim Festival in Rio de Janeiro. And um, Tim has his own festival. Tim God bless has, that man. Tim has his own festival. From here, they bounce around for a little while. They play the Voodoo Music Experience Festival in New Orleans on November 2nd before jet setting back to Europe to play the MTV Europe Music Awards in Scotland on November 6th. They pick up Best Video Award for Seven Nation Army and Best Rock Group. They're nominated and don't win for Best Group Overall and Best Album for Elephant. Uh, And this performance is really great. You get Seven Nation Army with Meg wearing a gigantic fluffy white hat. And um, Mm -hmm. and during the song, Jack specifies, I'm going to Wichita, London, which is cute. I don't think that's a thing, but it's kind of (laughs) cute. visual elements are strangely really close to the ones used in the boarding house reach tour there are multiple screens with different shots of the band playing with a filter on it behind them the whole time really Mm. cool um i think that may have been some of that inspiration there uh later on jack would use Uh, and then they start their makeup dates in north america they play milwaukee indianapolis columbus toronto ontario montreal rhode island new york at electric lady multiple nights at roseland Massachusetts, George Washington University. Then they play Camden, New Jersey. I'm sorry. Cincinnati, (laughs) Pittsburgh. And then landing once again in November 28th back at the Masonic Temple in Detroit for two nights. Now, James, that leads us to the third injury of this tour and the one I want to touch on least. But while they're in Detroit for those Masonic Temple shows, James, on December 13th, Jack was involved in a fight with Von Bondi, Jason Stolsteimer. Ah, uh, yes. At a record release party for Blanche. Right. The circumstances for this fight aren't really something we're going to be getting into, but let's just say it was a very personal, extremely violent encounter perpetrated on both sides. And that is kind of all we'll sort of say about that. But this, I mention it, I was going to leave it out, but I mention it only to say. I think in a lot of ways this is the final straw for Jack in Detroit. I think this altercation is probably the thing that really gave him the impetus to get out of Dodge, you know? It's possible, yeah. 
it definitely may have showed him that he wasn't at this moment in time he may have been so separated from it by doing world tours and becoming world famous that it's possible that all of that could have made him feel a little alienated others may have tried to alienate him i mean even in our interview with Jarrett Coral, he says like people wrote on the gold dollar you know white stripes suck you know yeah, like, yeah. Detroiters are famously <laughs> salty uh, let's say so, yeah and they, they're also the only people who will say you can't make fun of the white stripes but we can make fun of the white stripes like we will beat you up if you talk shit about Jack White but I will talk shit about Jack White right no totally I, I, look I think I'm simplifying it a little bit for the purpose of a narrative here which I shouldn't do this is a complicated situation that happened between friends that we had absolutely nothing to do with and no context for so I'm not trying to purport this for anything more than what it is all I'm saying is that this is an actual physical violent encounter that I think summed up some of the bad blood that had maybe been brewing between him and some of his contemporaries at the time and for better or for worse this situation is a part of the White Stripes history. Right. Uh, so right. it's worth mentioning, and it's formed how the band kind of changed. And- absolutely, absolutely. The last performance of the year was 2003 on New Year's Eve at the uh, Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And I think we might you might have even touched on that New Year's Eve performance in Chicago, or maybe you didn't. I don't know where I'm remembering that from. It sounds familiar. Yeah. It sounds very familiar. Yeah, it does sound familiar. I feel like he's played New Year's Eve gigs in the past. Anyway, that brings us, James, to 2004, and now we're back to the makeup leg. They play Liverpool, London, Nottingham, Glasgow, and of course, James, the final big momentous thing from this tour, Under Blackpool Lights. Ah, yes. The cap. The nightcap to this tour. The nightcap, yeah. That became a documentary movie. I mean, not really a documentary so much as just a concert movie. And it's it's very good. Yeah. Some raw, raucous white stripes filmed in their prime. I thank God that it was filmed in good quality with, like, perfect soundboard sound. James, as you mentioned, this was a show filmed for release as a concert movie in the U.S. and the U.K. It was directed by Dick Carruthers. And it is the first official DVD release from the White Stripes as a standalone project. There was also a limited theatrical run for this in November of that year, at least in the UK. Now, I saw more than one mention of somebody saying they saw it on the big screen in reviews. So I think it did come out in some theaters, but I don't really know much about that. It was a very limited release, and we'll we'll get into it in its own episode. But yeah, I think it had a limited release... It's sort of like one of those, what are those events, Fathom events kind of deals, where they would show concerts and stuff. recorded over two nights that they uh, played Blackpool on January 27th and 28th, and it wasn't released until the following December 7th. In the film, there's some writing on Jack's arm, Mm -hmm. 
which changes depending on the night in which the filming took place. Oh, uh, yeah. On one night, Meg wrote noxious, and on the, another night, she added an ub in front of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, very good. So when you're watching that, which I don't know how you will on most people's English copies of that DVD, much like mine, which I can't play and I'm extremely frustrated at, look for whether or not Jack's arm says noxious or obnoxious, which is pretty funny. Yours can't play it? No. Oh, man, I am so glad I bought that at Best Buy when I did. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they dance to I Can't Help It If I'm Still In Love With You by Hank Williams Sr. over the end credits. And uh, Jack plays the song Jack the Ripper, but uses some elements from the Peter Gunn theme on the guitar, which you'll remember, James, we talked about with Bruce Brand, Peter Gunn. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was also from a, a song called Sitchin that the Beatles used to play. After Blackpool, the band played a few more shows in England, including... The Jack White solo performance with John Peel, in which Jack played a four-song set intercut with interview banter between the two. Now, this is my favorite of the Peel sessions, James, mm-hmm. because we get live versions of Never Far Away uh, yes. in this and Van Leer Rose. Ooh. That's crazy. They never play those. I'll play this song by Loretta Lynn uh, that she taught me recently. That's um, called Van Leer Rose. Memories was sitting on my daddy's knee, listening to the story that he told. He pulled out that old photograph like a treasured memory from the past and said, Child, this is the family rose. Now the Rose could have had her pain And all the feathers Figured rich until This poor boy Caught an eye The fellas Would all laugh and say You're dreaming boy She'll never look your way You'll never ever hope The last gig from this leg was in Le Zenith in Paris on February 1st. And then we're back to North America for North American leg number five. The Stripes return to the States on February 8th to play the 46th annual Grammy Awards, Mm -hmm. which we've covered on this show before. Again, a very strong performance. And then the last gigs take place when the Stripes take a long break from February to August where they once again play the Fuji Rock Festival, which the raconteurs we know would play on their first Broken Boy Soldiers tour. And also Mm -hmm. in August, they play Pukkel Pop in Belgium, Lowlands Festival in the Netherlands, and Stop Over in Ireland. Lastly, a promise delivered, the band plays Reading and Leeds Festivals in Britain, James, and we are full circle. Woo! Full circle. Woo! The end of the elephant tour. That's a big elephant. James, what do you say we kick it to our third man for this week? Let's kick it to the third man this week. We'd like to welcome back to the show for a third time, possibly a record third time, Mr. Mark Bauer. As faithful listeners of the show will know, Mark was junior booking agent for the White Stripes and the Raconteurs and the Dead Weather and a zillion other bands. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you on. It's good to finally be 
talking in one of your segments because I feel like I, I've been absent, uh, at least in the last one. Paul handled the last one quite nicely. And uh, so it's good to talk to you again. Welcome back. Yes, it's good to be the three of us. So We're talking on the show today about the Elephant Tour, and we have just the unique opportunity to to have Mark on the show here to ask some questions and to, to talk about some of the stuff specific to that tour because, Mark, you were involved with the White Stripes at this time. and That's actually the perfect time. That's when I started with the band. The first time I saw them when I was working with them was August yeah. of 2002 when they played New York with the Strokes. Nice. Wow. The Radio City show, right? The Radio City. Yeah, they did two shows, Radio City and Irving Plaza. Wow. Mm-hmm. And those two nights were the same night that Beck was playing in the city. Right. Two nights. And I had already purchased a Beck ticket before I had started working with Dave Kaplan and the band. Sure. And I suddenly had this like, which one do I go to moment? <laughs> you know. And and you chose correctly, I assume. Yes, um, you went to the Beck concert. Well, I wound up going to the Radio City show oh, because right, right. that show wound up having some contractual issues and business stuff that needed to be dealt right. with. And since this was at just the point where the band was starting to get big, right. it was a learning curve for Dave as well as for me because Dave was a great agent but he was a small little firm and when he came to us the band was going from maybe doing 10 to 15 day tours to suddenly doing these 25 day long runs right. overwhelm somebody that was working on their lonesome so mm-hmm. Yeah, especially at that juncture because they were about to become as we talk about in the episode, they were about to become big stars at that point I mean you came on you know, in the blood cells era, but, you know, also at that time, as, as we mentioned, you know, Jack was filming a, a movie, a big Hollywood movie with Jude Law, for Christ's sake, dating Renee Zellweger after the wrapping of that film. And they're about to release the most commercial album they ever put out, I would say, arguably. So it's quite a time for that band. One of the things we talked about is this idea that Elephant was really like a tour proper, like it wasn't just like gigging anymore. Would you say that Blood Cells, like, I know we're not talking about Blood Cells this week, but did that feel like a tour? Did that feel like sort of gigging to support an up-and-coming band? Blood Cells, I looked at from the outside. I was already working at the agency group, Mm, you know, as a floater. So I was basically a glorified intern. Mm -hmm. And so to learn the ropes, I was always paying attention to tours that were out there, bands that were out there. And as the Stripes were a band that I was a fan of, I was paying attention to their touring cycles. And so I noticed they went from the very gig based, you know, playing lots and lots and lots of short bursts of shows around a, you know, good market to make it worthwhile to longer stretched out built tours. You know, so they, you know, they got to that point and by the middle of the blood cells era, they were at that point where they were now a touring band. They had their system involved. And I think it's because right at the end of the still start of that era is when the legendary John Baker came in and sort of built that ship. Right. Mm. Mr. Pastry. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of the things we noted on this tour was all of the various personal injuries and derailments that happened at different points. Any pre-shows that were set up for this tour were thrown off the rails when Meg 
broke her wrist, and then later on when Jack broke his finger. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into planning the tour, and then I assume what went into replanning the tour? Certainly, but there's some interesting tidbits that lead into Elephant yeah. before the even Elephant tour. Sure. Because I have this whole sheet of notes. Oh, give me the bits. I love the bits. So I sort of want to throw those out before we get to that. Yeah, yeah, go nuts. Go for it. If you don't mind. Yeah, please. You know, so I mentioned those August shows in New York that they played with the Strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that October, they then did a show, a surprise announced show in New York City. The local rock station was doing a series of them where they announced in the morning a location with some obscure clue and people would show up and a band would play. Mm-hmm. And the Stripes happened to be doing one of those. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we, you know, it was a Tuesday. We got the offer on a Friday, very short window of time. And we, sure. you know, we got it done. They played Union Square to like 20,000 people who showed up on like an hour and a half notice or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the free show, right? Where they, I think, yeah, the free show, the Nissan event. I think it was. Yes. And didn't they meet Jim Jarmish? They met. Yeah, they met Jim Jarmish yes. at that. Yeah. So that's connection one. That's where they meet Jim. Number mm-hmm. two in the negotiating part between Jack and Dave. Jack's a taxidermy fan. Right. He mm-hmm. turned Dave into a little bit of a collector. Dave bought a piece that Jack had been eyeing when they were together in Austin. Uh-huh. Jack talked Dave into giving it to him in order to get the show. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hilarious. What kind of animal? So that piece was a stuffed raccoon. Ah. That is that the one on the album cover? That is on the cover of Denial Twist Live. Yeah, I knew it. Wow. I love that cover. <laughs> That's amazing. Which is why I wanted That's to throw so that story in. That's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. Now, note also, this is one year after September 11th. Mm-hmm. I now had to mail an animal carcass across state lines, which yeah. was yeah. extremely difficult and weird. <laughs> A little... To have to do the paperwork for but all in all i mean to have that story it's sort of worth it (laughs) (laughs) so you're telling me you want to mail this dead animal across the country yeah to a rock star (laughs) and this white powder you have with it is for i'm assuming cocaine it's a desiccant officer it keeps it from coming back to life yeah that's how taxidermy works (laughs) I would like to say two things. Uh, The first thing is, how does it feel to be on a watch list? The second thing is, it is astounding how many people we've had on this show that have have either mailed or tried to deliver dead carcasses uh, to other people. And I don't know if that's a reflection on James and I or Jack, but maybe I'll say both. Uh, Did the raccoon have a name? If it did, I didn't speak raccoon to get it from him okay. or her. <laughs> wow. You did commune with the dead, and you did talk with the dead animal, but you just didn't know the language. Don't you just hate it when you can't speak yeah, the that, language? Yeah, that's the problem. It was all, it, to me, it was all trash panda, yeah. and I'm not fluent in that. Right, right, right. So, so we're at the tail end of 2002 here. Or entering into the fall of 2002, anything else leading up to the Elephant Tour? Yeah, so they did that Nissan event, and then yeah. a week later we get the call. The Rolling Stones are out touring. This one's called Lamin' Cup. And they're kicking oh, yes. their openers 
on a week in advance notice. And so we get a call on October 9th that they would like them to open for them on October 16th and 20th. Wow. And so we... James's birthday. Yes. Both <laughs> we days. Say, okay. Where those shows are going to be held, what info, you know, and they send us along the info. And so they wind up playing Toronto on the 16th of October in 2002 with the Rolling Stones. And they play the 20th in Columbus. <laughs> the 19th, however, was when they were on Saturday Night Live right. with Senator McCain. Yeah. So that was a very busy weekend. Let me just I can imagine. say that much. Yikes. The topper of the White Stripes playing with the Rolling Stones in Columbus is Dave Kaplan saw who he thought was Dave Swanson huddled on stage in a hoodie watching the band from the side. <laughs> At the end nice. of the set, he follows him off and he hits him in the back says you couldn't not watch them from the, the wings like the rest of us <laughs> turns around and it's Mick Lamin Cup. oh wow wow it wasn't Swanson Swanson yeah was it was Mick not Too that busy. it was Mick but you know <laughs> Mick amazing. at 70 or whatever it looks the same as Dave Swanson did at 22 I mean wow <laughs> so you mentioned Saturday Night Live does the booking agency, I assume they do, but does the booking agent facilitate those kinds of television appearances in addition to the touring stuff? It depends. 90 to 95% of the time, that's handled by the publicists. I see. You okay. know, and with them specifically, I mean, their publicist is one of the finest, and that's yeah. not besmirching any of the others because I've dealt with and I've worked with many, many publicists in the industry. Mm -hmm. And those that are hearing this, you know I love you. Kisses, kisses, kisses. Yeah. But <laughs> Chloe Walt, who worked the White Stripes, got them that booking. She got them that week on Conan. She, okay. she got them that too, first yeah. thing. You know, she broke that wall and had them as the first band on The Daily Show. Anything that was groundbreaking, she was the one that got it for them. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that explains that. Did you guys have any involvement with the Conan stuff at all? Or did you have to maybe plan around that engagement, I assume, during the, the lead up to and an outro from the Conan week? Uh, if I remember correctly, they didn't have a lot of shows directly around the Conan dates. Yeah. Uh, so they okay. just came to town. They played those shows. So we did do that little Detroit, New York, Boston run at that time. Yeah, you got there was a Hammerstein and then Yeah, we did uh, a Hammerstein with Loretta Lynn. Mm -hmm. They did two shows in Detroit. Oh. One with the Whirlwind Heat, one with Blanche. Yeah. Then they did the Loretta Lynn show in New York again with Blanche as the first of three. And then in Boston they played with the Dexter Romweber duo. Oh wow. And that was an earlier permutation, not the one that involved his sister, Sarah. who just passed away, sadly. Yeah. Uh, may she walk right. in power. Yeah, that was sad. That was a sad one. I'm so happy you mentioned that. I completely glossed over the Loretta stuff in the episode. We don't we don't really cover that much at all. What went into that? Did you have to arrange Loretta stuff too for that show, or was that a coordination with her with her agency? We coordinated with her agency. Uh, I mean, that was where the ball started rolling for Jack to do Van Leer Rose. Right. Right. You know, but 
that was, you know, we reached out to them. We said, you know, would you like to do this? Jack is, you know, humbled. We'll give you what you want, whatever set length, you know, that sort of thing. You know, and she was very gracious and she came back that it was something that interested her. She wanted that crossover crowd and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it worked out. We put it together. There are poster heads out there, you know, that we specifically had hatch prints made. Shows. Oh, that Hatch Prince is he's gorgeous. You know, those were specially done just for that show. You know, a few others. You know, the whole run got Hatch Prince, but you know, specifically because Loretta was part of it. Yeah, you get that right. fun print with Jack White wearing that Western outfit with the tassels and everything. It's great. Yep. Were they still driving around in a van at this point, or were they? Did they have an official like bus? At this point, I think they were one bus. Okay. They may have had a small trailer behind it. They get behind me, Satan. They were definitely a bus and a truck. Okay. To go back just a little bit, so I touched on Meg's injury. Was that a big scramble when that happened to cancel and then perhaps reschedule some of the markets that you had perhaps gotten pre-show stuff together for? How far along was it before that injury happened and how much did you have to reschedule, if at all? She hurt herself. I believe it was... Pretty early in the year. These, I mean, those were those April gigs that were the Conan filmings. So that's why we were a little bit apprehensive at first about having the taping. But then, you know, Meg came through and, you know, it wasn't bad. She didn't lose any mobility out of it. Yeah. It wasn't like when Jack broke his finger, which was much much worse i mean well, let's talk let's talk a little bit about that because that really derailed some stuff like there was a long period of time there so how did you get the news about it and were you guys what like what that must have been a titanic task to take all of those scheduled dates and reschedule them honestly wasn't as difficult to reschedule them as one would think the biggest problem was we lost some of the venues that we wanted because they were summer dates that we lost. We got hurt. What was it? It was on July 9th, and then they did not hit the road again. They did not get back on the road until the um, until September 13th. So that's like two and a half months, looks like. Yeah, so we got the word in on August 7th that we would be oh. able to start moving the dates instead of canceling them Gotcha. Mm-hmm. for the summer stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, cause at that point, right. you know, we had, I think put the tickets on hold, but didn't cancel anything. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, it was like, there's been an injury. We don't know how severe it is. Dates are going to be rescheduled. Once they're rescheduled, you'll have the option to return or keep your ticket. You know, because right. if you've ever looked on the back of a ticket or on a ticket, they usually say no refunds or exchanges. But if the date changes, it changes the ticket. Right. The back of a Ticketmaster ticket in the old days, I mean, now they're all digital and whatnot. But in the old days, those tickets were loaded with coded information. So they showed you where your seat were, but it also gave whose ticket holds it came from, if they were venue holds, if they were promoter holds, if they were band holds, Mm -hmm. if they were comp, if they were radio stations, if they were obstructed views, if they were television shots. I mean, all different things were coded on the front. And on the back, there were all clauses about how it was a contract and how they can reject all sorts of things. So anything that changed on it, you know, if it was wrong, 
invalidated it. So we became very, very picky on how our con- our tickets were even written, making sure that the you know a support act was never listed, that it was always www.whitestripes.com or whatever the relevant URL was that we were pitching at the time. You know, we made sure everything on the tickets was perfect. You know that, and that was another one of those tasks you don't think about that goes into being booked in a show. I guess I've never thought about that. I always thought it was just sort of, I don't know, I guess now that you're saying it, yeah, somebody was putting all that together. I guess I just didn't realize it was the booking agency. That's really interesting. Well, no, that's, it's usually the venue, but we get what's called oh, a, a ticket audit where they'll give us a breakdown of all the seats in the, the arena, like if you're playing, say, Madison Square Garden. Uh-huh. And so it'll show you all the seats and which ones are partially obstructed views and which ones are usually held by American Express cardholder presale, and which ones are usually blocked off for MSG box holders, and which ones are blocked off for Metropolitan Exchange or whoever you know the landowner is, and you know so they give you this breakdown so you know that of the twenty-five thousand seats. Only 117 of them are not actually valid seats that are sellable. And so you know exactly what they can do. So that way when you know they tell you at the end of the night, oh, we only sold 1,000 tickets or whatever, you're like, well, your venue manifest told us that you can only sell 604. Mm-hmm. How'd you fit in an additional 396 or whatever? Yeah. You know, it's another one of those things that we pay attention to. Yeah. Well, see, what you didn't know was that all the prisoners from Rikers Island came and removed the seats the night before. Yep. Good callback. And then they replaced them all again. Excellent callback. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about uh, – you talk about big venues. Let's. I, I had a question for you about Coachella. You know, Coachella has turned into this sort of like it crowd, in vogue, sort of the fire festival but not bullshit type thing <laughs> i mean it seems very fashionable place to go where was coachella standing at the time of the stripes performing there in 2003 was it up and coming at that time or was it sort of oh, it, i was mean that like was in vogue or was it that was early days i mean what are we coming on the 25th anniversary of coachella or something like that that sounds about right sure you know it was it was the early days but it was at the point when it was just getting to the point where every weekend or every day was a sellout. So I think we had the year prior, 2001, it was the first big year for the festival, like in terms of headliners, like that, like made a buzz. It is the 20th year, by the way. They skipped 2000, though. So it was 99, then 2001 was the next one after yeah it was a y2k bug it made a, it made everybody skip yeah Coachella there you go maybe they have Coachella, but yeah. the computers don't remember it yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so it was like it was starting to become a big deal then is what you're saying. yeah it was the start of something you know and at the time there wasn't bonnaroo or Lollapalooza or firefly or muscle shoals or i mean name a state name a festival you know you know there was far less festivals than there are now you know as i mentioned in the previous thing you know it was a lot easier for festivals to be amazing because there weren't hundreds of them they were limited you know it was like Reading and Leeds sort of thing. How do you account for that? Is that... Because I, I think of it like comic conventions. There was a time when there was only one or two, and then suddenly 
I think a lot of it has to do with Woodstock 99, maybe, because people started seeing a successful music festival having a repeat and people still attending. That burned to the ground. (laughs) Well, look, it burned to the ground, but... People still attended it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I mean, rest in peace, but that's true. I don't want to give Woodstock credit because, <laughs> I mean, if you think about Woodstock 99 versus the original, your heart breaks. Look at that lineup. Yeah. yeah. You know, Corn, Lit, of, yeah. Insane Clown Posse. Who should? I think of Limp Biscuit. I think of Fred Durst <laughs> screaming, break stuff. And a bunch of frat boys, and I think of trying to spot the boobies on the television. I mean, yes. is that not Coachella? And setting your VCR. <laughs> that is Coachella. And setting your VCR to record for 24 straight hours MTV and having to switch out the yeah. tapes and then decide, oh, oh crap, God. I'm down to two tapes. Do I record an FL or EL? Who's playing yeah. overnight? <laughs> oh, it's. It, dance music i'm not gonna really care too much and and then realizing like two months afterwards that you're at college and you're never ever gonna watch them because you don't like any of those bands anymore yeah you you take out a vhs tape from under your bed and it just says anthony kiedis's (laughs) guy and you're like i can't use this wait you still have that tape (laughs) 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 i thought momo collected them all yeah Um, so is there any other uh, specific tour memories you have from from that elephant sort of era like uh, anything that stands out for you in your memory as as something memorable maybe about the band or perhaps about the palpability of their fame at that time I remember a bunch of specific dates because I went to a lot you know they were on the east coast it's easy to drive to a lot of these areas a lot of them were weekend dates so I managed to catch a fair fair chunk of stripe shows i mean that rescheduled bunch i think i saw from the 15th of november through till the 24th most every one of those shows i think i skipped boston that might have been the Mm, only one that's quite a stretch because going up to providence overnight was you know on a saturday was easy and then coming back home easy that run of roselands sticks out because that was originally part of the summer dates that we had to move. And originally it was going to be one day at Roseland and one day at summer stage. And because we lost out on being able to do summer stage, it became two extra shows because of capacity issues. So we wound up having three nights. And so that made Jack happy because three. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it did. I mean, there's so many stories from those days, but one of the best memories, I think, from it is night two, Jim Diamond had sent a friend to the show, Lisa from the High Strung, uh, who had a daughter just coming out of remission from the leader who was leukemia. Uh, she was a drummer herself, wonderful, delightful, excellent little girl, and she wanted to meet Jack. And we arranged the whole thing, and he got to the venue a little bit late before the show. He was a little bit um, hungover, maybe is the word. <laughs> Renee was, was in town, had taken an overnight flight from Thailand where she was filming Bridget Jones 2. Spent the like, wow. 
20 hours together and then went back. So you know, he was a little bit whiter than white when he took the stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. I couldn't imagine sitting through a show with a hangover, and I had done that many a time, let alone play a show as blistering <laughs> as that show was. I mean, those shows were amazing, but that show, face melting. He And he must have sweat off. 10 pounds on top of having no sweat. <laughs> when he finishes, he, you know, he's, he walks backstage and he looks like he's going to die and he's about to just like go to the couch, fall down, be done. And I know that's the situation. I'm like, I hate to do this. Lisa's here and he, he immediately remembers that he has this obligation and that it involves a child. And he takes a bottle of water and a towel, whatever, and like he wipes his face and he walks out the you know the the stage door to where this girl is and he embraces her like he was not ill like he wasn't hungover and just made this girl's life Aww. nice in that one moment like you see those at moments in anime where like there's that glint in the eye that's a little bit too much and you're like no one's eye has ever light up like that <laughs> no no they do Aww. They do when you're a child and you've had that, like, that moment. Aw, that's a great place to leave this on. That made me feel good. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling pretty good after that. Uh, <laughs> Mark, we really we want to thank you so much for joining us again here on the show. The, the stories you have to tell, you know, we could go on and on for hours. Hopefully we'll have you back again to talk some more tours, some more some different memories and things. But, uh yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything is there anything you want to plug while you're here? I always I mean, like to plug those bands that I used to work with because I worked with them. They had talent. They meant a lot to me. Yeah, man. They still mean a lot to me, you know. Absolutely. That's why I did it. You know, and that year, I mean, that year ended with them playing with the Flaming Lips on New Year's Eve. Right. Which we can't forget. You know, oh, yeah. Capped off with that huge thing, you know. And that midpoint of that year was just Almost the halfway point, they played with Quintron and Miss Pussycat, which was probably one of the weirder of the pairings, you know, from us having Dave Kaplan's esoteric roster and needing something and tours crossing. If you're unfamiliar with them, Quintron is a one-man dance band who plays instruments of his own inventions. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like one that uses the weather literally to make sounds based on four or five different things. And then his wife, Miss Pussycat, starts every show with a very amazing psychedelic puppet show. Okay, I'm looking at pictures of this gentleman, uh, and he looks like he just stepped out of a David Lynch production, but he looks very interesting, and there are several machines that I do not know what they do. And I'm assuming... They make noises. They make noises like <laughs> old school, like Moog synthesizer, patch cable sort of stuff. He's opened a shop in New Orleans called Quintronics, selling his own invented sound stuff. If you want to push the envelope. He looks like he's a successful Magic Alex, <laughs> if that gives any of you Beatles fans any reference. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> That's cool. I had also glossed over that the New Year's Eve show you're describing was the Thank You Jack White for the Fiber Optic Jesus show. Yes. Was that the one with, with that's the one with Beck, where they, where Beck was there too? Um, this is a show that I got very drunk at. 
and <laughs> woke up in the emergency room in Chicago. Oh boy! So I don't remember. I am embarrassed about that. But uh, okay, well, <laughs> a year of Atkins, and then my first drink of alcohol, and uh, Red Bull wow. and vodka after no sugar for. 300 days does not do the body good. No, I can't imagine it does. <laughs> nope. You just said a string of words that are extremely 2000. Yes. <laughs> um. if, I, if I said bros, I think bros in there, I think I might have actually won a fire festival. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We're going to leave it there and uh, we'll catch you next time. We'll have you back on the show so you can share some more stories. Yeah. Love to hear your guys' voices. Talk to you guys soon. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. James, we learned so much about elephants, elephantitis. Uh, elephantalism, which of course is the fondling of elephants. Um, yes, I think we have some people we uh, we want to give shout outs here too on the show. We'd love to, and I'll take care of them this time. All right, James has benched me. I've put Paula on a bench. We'd like to thank Reen Solomon, Leslie Heimers, Sandra Martinez. You guys are liking our pages and commenting and stuff francisco lima lila santos kimberly matisse we have laura s carey christopher hill michael shawcross thank you guys oh uh can i thank at app slade or invisible man on twitter who uh replied to our game show episode with the lovely tweet sign me the fuck up so I think we might have to do another game show episode because there's been pretty good response to that one and, and people seem to like it. So we would love to invite more listeners on to do that crazy thing again. Yeah, that would be fun. I would enjoy that. And Paul, speaking of the game show episode, there were some people on the game show episode who are part of our, let's say, revolving cast of people who are here day in, day out, who we, we would also like to thank. It was a weird way to put it, but I got there. James, just really quickly, one more to add here. I would like to thank I Love Music on Twitter, I-L-U-V Muse, and then a bunch of numbers who uh, said that they had recently found the podcast and uh, really, really enjoyed it. So I would like to thank them as well. We'd love hearing from people on Twitter and stuff and and, uh, Facebook and and uh, the people who do that so very often are people such as Ben, the Beer Man, Blues Carnes. Thank you, Ben. Eric Andrew Dotson over here. We have um, the Brett Three Killed by Garski. Nick Langford, Lang You Up from the Heavens. Thank you, Nick. Uh, you interact with us all the time. My oh me, it's uh, me oh my uh, sent me a nice message on Instagram the other day. So thank you. So many. Yeah. Yeah. Just just so many. That's a good amount. Melissa Swanko. Well, you know, we'll give Melissa another shout out. Sure. I still haven't come up with a nickname for you, Melissa. I'm very... Are we taking another crack at it? I'm very sorry. We can try. Sweet Um, Melissa. uh, I'm sure she's never heard that one. Swank of America. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Rejected. (laughs) I have a swank that didn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> swank no paul that's no swank uh batter um swank a batter 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 melody 
Melissa, Melissa O'Donnell. Nope. Melissa. That's another person. Melissa. Melistocracy? Ooh. Are you part of the Melistocracy? Yeah, we'll go with that. I like that. I, can you put that down on the document? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll go in there and correct the spelling later. <laughs> <laughs> I was drunkenly doing that. Don't worry about me. Um, if you'd like to be one of the people who are shouted out and whatnot, you could follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen or on Twitter at thirdmencast. You can go on Tumblr if uh, not everything is taken down yet. That's thirdmencast.tumblr.com. You can find us on our WordPress page. WordPress paste? <laughs> our WordPress paste. WordPress. Our WordPress paste. <laughs> our word. This is like I, one of those I, I, fake bloopers you see sometimes, <laughs> like when they do it on TV shows. I just yeah. can't say it. Our WordPress page, which is where we host the show and occasionally put show notes, although we haven't done that in like 60 episodes. Uh, that's the thirdmen.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find you can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us listener questions if you want. If you ask it, we'll answer it in a segment at some point somehow. You could also just say like, hey. What's going on, you guys? Yeah. Like the show. Or, hey, what's going on, you guys? You got this wrong, because we will take your fan corrections and put it in a segment we like to call Stop Breaking Down. So if you have anything that you found was wrong in the last, I don't know, entirety of the show, mm. you can tell us and we'll correct it. Yeah. You can find us on Pippa, where we host the show. Uh, you can just go to Pippa and search The Third Men. We love Pippa. Pippa's great. They've gotten us on Spotify and stuff. They're not paying us to say any of this, but if you have a podcast that you are thinking of getting off the ground, you might want to check out Pippa, uh, or as I like to say, Pip on down to Pippa. Thank you to the good folks at Pippa, who are always there to answer my compulsive questions when anything minutely goes wrong, and I send you 20 messages at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Thanks, Pippa. You could also find us on YouTube where I do occasional visualizers and stuff. Paul, I got two more animatics Ooh. that I have been working on. Ooh. So we have two more uh, things for the YouTube page uh, that are that are coming up soon. Um, and uh, so, yeah, search us on YouTube. Just search the Third Men Podcast or Third Men Podcast or whatever your hearts desire. You could search for some other people on there, too. They're all great. YouTube's great. Anyway, yeah, you let's could plug review. YouTube. <laughs> Search your hearts. Uh, That's their new slogan. <laughs> Search your heart's desire and some light pornography on YouTube. Or search some, like, cool engineers or whatever, like I do. Uh, William Osmond. Go for him. Anyway, you could rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you leave a review that has the word posers in it, we'll send you some sweet Third Man merch. It's got to be five stars, though. That I think I forgot to mention that last time. It's got to be a five-star review. With the word posers in it, because the joke is only funny if you rated us very highly. You could do what you want with it, as long as posers in there somewhere. It could be a word search that you build out of text blocks and just have the word posers in the word search somewhere. What do they call when you switch all the letters around? Is that a, what is that, a mammogram? Yeah, Paul, it's a mammogram. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb idiot, it's a mammalgram. <laughs> That you could shoot. Because elephants are mammals. There we go. Yeah, so do that. We'll send you some stuff. I got a big old stack of Third Men podcast uh, merch here that we were happy to send you. And, oh, James, there's merch available. Oh, is there merch available? Mm. And for purchase, if you'd like, you can have, get, a, get yourself a T-shirt. Uh, we had some awesome listeners send us photos 
of the uh, of them wearing Kaminsky Family Podcast t-shirts to uh, both our Third Men show and to uh, Yesterday and Today, the uh, Beatles show we do with our father, or rather, executive produce? Sure. Bequeath? That's gross. That is on society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcasts or bit.ly slash Third Men Merch. And uh, you can pick all that stuff up. James, I hear tell you just did a new design that's up there now. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, your podcast's Not Dead merch on there, as well as a new design for uh, I'm Looking for a Home. Ooh, so that'll be up soon. I saw a preview of that a little while ago, yeah. and it was awesome. So yeah, go pick that stuff up. We'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Rountree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James, until next week... I'm going on tour, and mm. I'm going to bag me an elephant. I'm actually going to put a bag around it. Oh, okay. That's good. Uh, and I will be looking for a home in a stable with a horse that I can give a carrot. Hey, get a broken foot that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> See you in two weeks. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. that you have me to distract you and the baby to distract you now and you're caught in the middle (laughs) yeah this is gonna be a fun one (sighs) my notes my precious notes um (sighs) breaking her Are you done? This is padding to protect you from these sharp knobs, kid. Memories of playing uh, uh, um, Stairway to Heaven. Houses of the Holy. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. Uh, Greta Van Fleet. There's no home for you.
Oh, nice. Okay. And then that way we get some white stripes in this season because we're pretty light on stripes stuff, and that's kind of what people like him for. <laughs> that that sounds fine. We even go over some albums, Paul. Yeah, which isn't today because this oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> Some days we even go over tours, Paul. <laughs> that's that's right, James. Blissful sin or blessings. Sit hole. Okay. <laughs> I farted again. This soup is bad. Yeah, his uh, mother was a father. His mother was a mother? <laughs> Butter was a mother. Loves the slop. Born in the slop. Um. I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's Society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. (laughs) Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.